2: The Hollywood Radio Theater. Every day at this time, Monday through Friday, a J.M. Colas Enterprises production, The Hollywood Radio Theater, presents an unusual tale of mystery and suspense. Every week, Monday through Friday... The Hollywood Radio Theater presents...
1: I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Merwin Girard's study of a man pursued... Dead Man's Tale... Starring George Maharis, Craig Stevens, and Charles McGraw. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. Guilt is not something that can always be determined in a court of law. One must first consider the source. Carl Brooks is a man well acquainted with guilt. It drove him first from his home, then drew him back and into a situation for which he was totally unprepared. His best friend had been convicted and executed for murder. Only Carl's testimony could have saved him. So the guilt is now a matter of omission, a matter of moral negligence. And for Carl Brooks, the guilt is more imposing than ever. The man he left behind in turn left a widow and child. Someone is sending them money. Carl Brooks would like to find out who and why. Dead Man's Tale continues after this word.
3: I watched the sun come up over the city from my hotel window. The first light of day peeked over the eastern horizon at 5 o'clock, then fanned out over the stockyards, the industrial section, and crept into downtown. By 5.30, sunlight glistened off the facings of glass skyscrapers. The street lamps shut off. The morning edition hit the newsstands. City buses rolled down the avenues from dark to dawn to day. Hadn't shut my eyes or my mind all night. If I was to accomplish anything this day, I would first have to freshen up. A weary face with dark circles under the eyes peered out at me from the medicine chest mirror. Oh, come on. Can't believe it. Mm -hmm. Desk. This is Mr. Brooks in room 610. What happened to the water? Or oh, doesn't that come with the price of the room?
4: I'm terribly sorry, sir. We've had some trouble with the boilers. and We've temporarily shut off all the water in the east wing.
3: That's just great. How do you propose you're paying guests' wash?
4: We hope to have the service restored sometime this afternoon, sir.
3: What about the west wing?
4: Actually, sir, you're better off where you are. We'll be shutting off the water on the other side after the noon hour today. We're sorry for the inconvenience. Uh, we have a repair crew working full-time.
3: Yeah, well, um, I'd like another room.
4: As you wish, sir. West Wing?
3: Yes, West Wing.
4: I can give you a uh, fifth floor suite. It's five dollars a day more than you pay them now.
3: Well, I'll, I'll take it.
4: Very well, sir. It's room 519.
3: Yes, sir. oh, wait a minute. Uh, your rooms are separated by odd and even numbers, right? Yes, sir. Well, I'd like room uh, 515.
4: Well, oh, I'm sorry, sir. We have no room 515.
3: No 515?
4: No, sir. We converted that room to storage space four years ago.
3: I see. Uh, 5.19 will be fine, then.
4: Very good, sir. I'll transfer your bill starting today.
3: Clerk, were there any calls for me after midnight?
4: One moment. No, no messages at all, sir. Uh Uh, Thank you. I took the
3: elevator down to the lobby and exchanged the keys. So, 5.15 was only used for storage now. That had been for four years. Very strange coincidence. A man is killed in the room, another man is condemned for murder and rushed off to meet his maker, and suddenly, the scene of the crime no longer exists. 525. Mm-hmm. 523. 21. And here it is, 519. I wonder. Uh-huh. Just as he said. No room number. Storage. Employees only. I showered, shaved, and had a light breakfast in the coffee shop before leaving the hotel. I needed mobility for the errands I had to run. So I rented a late model sedan from an auto agency. I phoned the Chronicle and tried to reach Hugo again. But he was out on still another story. Either that, or his secretary was told to say he was. Ellen Wilson's financial status was foremost in my mind. Nameless donations and free medical care. Dr. Frank Irwin might be able to shed some light on the subject, I thought. I drove to County General Hospital to find him. Dr. Irwin was in County General, all right, as a patient. The previous night, he had run his car into a telephone pole and had suffered minor injuries. Fortunately, I arrived during visiting hours, and the nurse told me that Dr. Irwin had uh, been lightly sedated, but I could see him for a short time.
5: Edna, I'm sorry. I should have been more careful. Uh, Dr. Irwin? Oh. Oh. I thought you were Edna. She's been away visiting her sister. My name is Carl Brooks I see I thought you were Edna's my wife She's been after me to get some rest Day off once in a while Are you You from the police? Uh, No, sir See, I had a little accident with the car last night Oh, fell asleep at the wheel Uh, Unspeakable for a doctor (laughs) Yeah, how are you feeling better? I can't feel a thing Wonder drugs, we call them You, you look familiar You one of my patients from long ago?
3: No, sir. I'm Carl Brooks from long ago.
5: Oh, why,
3: of course. I heard you were back. Hasn't everyone?
5: I'm so glad you're here. Well, that's a switch. I'm afraid I don't understand. You are the man who's helping Ellen Wilson, aren't you? Well, I'm, um... I'm a friend of her... I know all about you, Mr. Brooks. Oh? I want to do all I can to help you. Say, would you mind bringing me that pitcher of water right there? Oh. Can't seem to work up a spit. Yeah. Ah, Ah, thank you. I don't want to dry up before I say what has to be said. Doctor, Ellen Wilson is one of your patients, isn't she? Has been, ever since she first moved here. Must have been, oh, near 10, 15 years ago. When she got married and had the baby, I became what we... (laughs) what we used to call a family doctor.
3: Have you been sending Ellen Wilson money?
5: Money? No, that must be one of the others. Others? Uh, Please, the water. Oh. Uh, What others? Well, I don't know who they are. I think the man who runs the big gambling club in town is one of them.
3: Joe Ferris. Yeah. That's who I mean, Joe Ferris. He's a horrible man. Doctor, I don't want to sound like a lawyer. I, I mean, I've given that up, but... If you don't know who the others are, would you know why anyone is sending Ellen Wilson money? I'm a doctor,
5: Mr. Brooks. It's my sworn duty. My sacred obligation to save lives. I committed a breach of honor four years ago in a court of law. Because I was afraid of the disgrace, I... Well, I did nothing to prevent the execution of an innocent man. Barry Wilson. That's right. Could you have saved him? No, perhaps. (coughs) No. The point is, I didn't even try. Oh, that's fine. Well, what could you have done or said? Well, I don't know why I ever got involved. Edna begged me not to. She's always right about that sort of thing. Very sound thinker, my wife. Doctor, what was this involvement? Oh, ambition, pride, vanity. I wanted to be Commissioner of Health. And I consoled myself that everybody did it. Did what? Paid for political favors. There was this Faris and myself and two others. I have no idea who they are. But we each contributed a large sum of cash to a special fund for the re-election of Lloyd Mercer. (laughs)
3: Of course. It was so obvious, it never occurred to me. That was why Mercer never admitted to there being money in the attaché case. It would have blown his legal eagle image sky high. The fact that I had been a very real part of his political machine turned my stomach. So, you see, Mr. Brooks, I I isolated the hypocrite in Hippocrates. And that's what Henley was carrying. It would seem so. There was never any proof. The subject never came up. Well, I understand what Ferris was paying for. Protection. But certainly... Commissioner of Health isn't appointed by the District attorney. Oh, Lloyd Mercer,
5: as we've seen, was headed
3: for bigger things. His political influence
5: extended in all directions, and I was convinced he could deliver. Obviously, so were the others.
3: I understand there was 150,000 dollars in that briefcase. I couldn't say my contribution was $30,000. And you have no idea who else may have known about this special fund? As far as I know, only Mercer and the four contributors. Well, what about Henley? I mean, where did he come in? I never
5: met the man. I understand he was from out of state. Well, I presume he was chosen as a go-between because he had no connection with any of us. Including Mercer. Especially Mercer. Uh-huh. I presume Mercer sent you to pick up the lock case so there'd never be any visible connection between himself and Henley. As a precaution against precisely the sort of thing that happened.
3: You know, it seems so unnecessarily complicated.
5: Has it occurred to you that whoever murdered Henley might be one of the contributors? I know there were four of us, and not one came forward. Farris wasn't even at the trial. Dr... Doctor...
3: Do you believe Barry Wilson was innocent?
5: I believed it throughout the course of the trial, the appeals, up to the moment of his execution. I believe it as I lie here now. I stood by and let him die. Doctor, from what you've told me, you were not the only one. Well, Mr. Brooks, a man has only to live at peace with himself. I know that better than anyone.
3: I assume that all of Ellen Wilson's medical expenses through the years... Oh, yes. I was grateful for the opportunity. It helped. A little. You've helped a lot, Doctor. You get well now, and uh, I'll be in touch. All right. I left the hospital and headed for the National City Bank, Ellen Wilson's branch. It didn't take me long to notice I was being followed. A big, maroon, late-model touring car was smoking along behind me, obviously tracking. Too obvious to be anything but a message from Joe Farris. Looking in my rearview window, I could see two men in the car with the brims of their hats pulled low over their foreheads. It would have been funny if it weren't so frightening. And I was sure that was the purpose. To scam me into running. I had done it once before. Why not again? But uh, Dr. Irwin had answered that to me. A man has only to live at peace with himself. And I was determined to achieve that stopped in front of the bank pharris's thugs drove on they knew where i was going and who i wanted to see we were all beginning to understand each other all too well i began to feel the need for some protection of a different kind dead men tell no tales it was time to leak some information to the press <laughs>
0: City desk. Brownell here.
3: Hugo, I waited all night for your call.
0: Oh, what do you want?
3: Look, I uh, I think a lot more went on in the Henley case than we were led to believe.
0: We were led to believe?
3: Now, no, come on, Hugo. I mean, just, just give me a chance and just hear me out.
0: Look, I'm interested in facts. Hard facts. Something I can put in print.
3: Well, I've learned enough in one day to know that you were right about Barry being framed and about the political setup in this town.
0: So? Now, there's two of us. Look, uh, I want to talk to you. Do you or don't you have something I can print without risking a libel suit? Well,
3: look, I-, I will in about 15 minutes.
0: I'll listen when you do. I'm much too busy now for idle conversation, so you hey, look, just... uh,
3: Hugo, wait. No, wait. I- I've just got to see you today, in an hour. In an hour. I think we'll find something in the, in the back issue of the Chronicle. I- I'll meet you there.
0: Carl? Carl! Ah, damn it. Shirley, I'll be in the morgue. The one with the dead papers.
6: of service sir
3: yes i'd like to speak to the branch manager well
6: go ahead i'm waiting i'm joanne price branch manager what can i do for you
3: well i'm sorry I, i i didn't
6: you didn't think a woman could ever achieve a position of responsibility especially in such a stuffy field as money management believe me i felt the same way it's been a struggle
3: A deposit of yours, Mrs. Ellen Wilson, has been receiving cashier's checks drawn on this bank in the amount of $100 each month for the past four years. I'd like to know who's been sending them.
6: Won't she tell you?
3: She doesn't know either. Does she object? Miss, uh, Mrs., can't you just tell me who who's sending those checks?
6: No, I'd like to. You have such an honest face. But I'm afraid even if I had that information, it would be confidential. Besides, I'm really only the hired help. I wouldn't have the authority to give it to you. Who would? The bank president, Mr. Lacey. Ah.
3: Well, may I talk to him?
6: I don't think it'll do you any good. Why not? Mr. Lacey's a Scrooge, the tightest man on earth, with money and with words. Look, could you ask him if he'd see me, please? Don't hold your breath. Well? The sun sets in the east tonight. He'll see you. All the way at the back. Don't say anything, but I'm bucking for his job.
3: (laughs) Well, I hope you get it. Thank you. Very much.
4: Come in. Mr. Lacey? I only let you in here to tell you face to face that what you're asking for is privileged information... And I demand to know what your authority is in seeking it and for what purpose.
3: I have reason to believe the person signing those cashier checks may have committed murder.
4: No. Certainly murder would be a matter for them. All right, Mr. Lacey, if you'd rather I take what I already know to the police... You're Carl Brooks. That's correct. Uh, mm. oh, Mr. Brooks, I'm not a rich man, despite what you may think. You knew Barry Wilson was innocent, didn't you? I don't know that.
3: Is there reasonable doubt?
4: Maybe. I've done nothing illegal. Well, somebody has.
3: Someone killed Robert Henley for $150,000, some of which, I think, was yours, Mr. Lacey.
4: You can't believe I'd kill a man for money. Well, you said yourself you're not a rich man. Now just a damn
3: minute. Look, I'm only going to ask you one more time, Mr. Lacey, because if you don't tell me, I'll find out somewhere else. It may save us both a lot of unnecessary trouble, and it uh, might even make you feel better. Now, do you know who is sending $100 cashier checks once a month to Ellen Wilson?
4: No, I don't. And should you have any further inquiries into my personal affairs, Mr. Brooks, I suggest you make them through my attorney. Good day. Get me Judge Mercer's chambers. Immediately.
3: Lacey was the kind of man who revealed more in a facial reaction than by anything he could have said. He was undoubtedly the third donor. Farris, Dr. Irwin, and Lacey. But who was the fourth? I left the bank and walked to my rented car. The tires were flat. All of them. Slashed. I looked up and down the street. There was no sign of the big maroon car, but the meaning was clear. So I had to get to the Chronicle building right away. I had to get to Hugo Brownell.
0: Oh, Hugo, you're here. Don't ask me why. I guess I'm just a sucker for nostalgia. Well, I wasn't sure if I'd make it. Word is out on me. What do you mean? Ferris had his boys cut up my tires on the car. I hitchhiked over here. Never thought you'd come. Look, Carl, you're raving. Come on, you got me down here for a reason. Let's have it. Hugo, what do you know about a
3: special campaign contribution fund to get Lloyd uh, Mercer elected to a second term as DA? Maybe I should ask what you know. Well, there was one. And that's what Henley was carrying the night he was murdered. Can you prove it? Not only that, but I think I can prove who killed Henley. Who? Do you know? Well, I'm hoping you can remember. You've seen him. You may even know him.
0: Ah, you lost me.
3: Look, four people contributed to Mercer's special fund. It was Farris and Dr. Irwin, the president of the National City Bank, a man named Lacey.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. First name, Clarence. A big man in contract financing, bit on the shady side. That's only three. Well, there should be the name of a picture of the fourth somewhere in these files. Well, that could take days to find.
3: Not if you can remember. Remember what? Well, someone who was at Barry's trial. Someone who was there. Every day.
0: Carl, this is hopeless. Even if we find who you're looking for, we'd have to push to reopen the case. And you know whose court this is. We'd have a hell of a time trying to get anybody to confess Uh, to Hold on. Hold on. I found something. What do you got? No, sure, no, no. Do you have a, a magnifying glass or something like that? Yeah, there's one here somewhere. Ah. Here. Ah, good. Okay, now. Look, look, Who is this man? Hmm? The one the
3: one with his uh, head down here in this picture and looking around in this one.
0: That's right. He was there just about every day. The uh the paving contractor. Yeah. Used to do all the work for the city. Yeah, well what's his name? Owen Morse. That's our man. Mm-hmm.
1: Tomorrow at this time, rest your eyes and listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense, Dead Man's Tale. I'm Rod Serling, and this is The Zero Hour.
2: You've been listening to the Hollywood Radio Theater's presentation of The Zero Hour, heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. Dead Man's Tale was written by Merwin Gerard and Kim Weiskopf. George Maharis is Carl. Greg Stevens is Mercer. And Charles McGraw is Ferris. Featured in the cast are Jack Manning, Harold Gould, Herbert Jefferson Jr. and Shirley Mitchell. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Jack Myers is executive producer. Rochelle Sherman, associate producer. And Kim Weiskopf, story editor. Music conducted and composed by Stanley D. Hoffman. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. This has been the J.M. Colis Enterprises production. Hugh Doctor speaking. Tune in tomorrow and once again, rest your eyes and listen here to The Zero Hour.